This is an ABC podcast. <laughs> I can be okay. You can be. I can be. You can be too. Hi, I'm Maggie Dent, and I'm a mum and a parenting author. And this is Parental as Anything, the podcast that helps you be the parent you want to be. <laughs> well, hopefully, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I'm doing one of my absolute favourite things, playing with my grandchildren, and today it's with little Miss Miller. Play is the way that our babies and young children develop their sense of self, a sense of the world and a sense of where they fit in. And as we grow older, it's a biological need that gives our children much bigger capacities, socially, emotionally, physically, cognitively. And, of course, it's how we have fun. Ready? (laughs) 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Coming. Ready or not? Ready or not? It might sound like I'm just having fun with my little beautiful Miss Miller, but unstructured play like this is so important to our development, and I worried that today's kids just aren't getting enough of it. Robin Munro-Miller is the CEO of Kids Giving Back and the president of the International Play Association, and I love this. She describes herself as a former child. (laughs) So, Robin, what is one of your favourite games to play with a little one? You can pick any age. I think any game that involves large lots of uh, cardboard boxes and cubby building. I think I've always been a fan of cubby building and it's one of my earliest memories of play has been around building cubbies and competing with the cubby builders in the street <laughs> and uh, destroying each other's cubbies as well. <laughs> uh, I always recognise that play, whilst play can be a wonderfully constructive thing, one of the joys of play is also the ability to deconstruct whatever oh, you've just made. I love it. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's not it's not seen as something that it's negative, it actually should be seen as something, a process we go through. I'm not sure my siblings would agree with that. I think they called destroy. But I absolutely agree with you. We had an almond tree and we each had a really big branch of that almond tree. And, of course, it was a territory, it was a space we belonged in. What do we mean when we say play? It really is around the free, unstructured activity of children. So it really is an intrinsic desire we all have to play. And it's not something that disappears necessarily. As adults, we sort of, some of us retain our sense of playfulness. Some of us get so so absorbed we forget about it. Um, But it is something that's natural for children to do. And it's self-directed. And that's really important. It comes from within. And I always say to people, um, my experience of play and your experience of play, we could be playing the same game, but we'll feel differently about it. We'll have a different experience perception of that play. I love when I watch um, children spontaneously just start playing something, even even waiting Mm -hmm. at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. or waiting in a queue, Mm -hmm. 
uh, start playing a game with a sibling. Yes. You know? And play will happen anywhere. I mean, we can say we have play spaces, but the reality is um, what we want children to have is a playful world and a playful life. Oh, so play oh. can actually happen as throughout the day. And sometimes it's more important to have a playful sort of environment and, and those moments of play throughout the day than it is to have a one-hour block of play, you know, in a park. It really is about <laughs> creating that sense of sometimes nonsense, so, you know, using different names, using silly voices, uh, actually just engaging with life and testing and trying out different ways of being. I just had a vision of the walking through the playroom or the play space mm-hmm. in your house and those endlessly nasty little pieces of Lego. <laughs> so now you're suggesting let's leave it out. You well, know. <laughs> you know, I actually would draw the line there, having been a victim to that many a time. And I think boundaries in play are still important. We still we still at times have to say, okay, this is where we, we make the mess and this is where we don't make the mess. Um, you know, obviously, you know, if you arrive in, you know, in different serious places, this is where we're going to be quite serious. But we need to know that where we've got an opportunity for children that we say, look, we have to be a little sensible here, we have to, you know, do the right thing, that we make sure that later in the day there's another opportunity for them just to let loose. Why is play disappearing and and why are they playing less than previous generations, Robin? Well, play is disappearing because we've suddenly decided that, you know, that play is something that's you know, just an accessory you do if you've got a bit of time to do it. It's not important. It's not important. I want you to think about those times you see animals playing. You see puppies rolling around, you see kittens playing. All of those things are biological. They are somewhere deep within our brain is the need for play. And it doesn't just belong to humans, it belongs to the rest of the animal kingdom. And it's so critical to actually those synapses in our brain connecting. And when we don't have those synapses connecting through the play, we have deep, serious issues emerging. We are actually interfering with evolution. And this is why it shouldn't be seen anymore as something that's a little optional. It should be seen as that biological imperative, like we give children good nutrition, like we give them, you know, access to, you know, medical care. We need to give them access to play because we are messing with their brain. Because basically some of these things are happening at a higher rate the less children are playing. And some of them are obesity stats, kids with ADHD, mm-hmm. which absolutely ADHD mm-hmm. is a brain neurological condition, mm-hmm. but there are children who look like they have it because of those yes. other concerns. Childhood depression, we've got problems in classroom, we've got violence, we've got an inability for children to interact mm-hmm. with their friends. So why is it disappearing? It's because people have forgotten. People are, are creating institutions around what children, the expectations for children, we're on, on some academic race yeah. <laughs> towards, you know, who knows where, and we're losing sight of the fact that deep in biologically in, as an imperative, our children must play in order to be healthy well-rounded individuals and human beings. Especially in the formative years as we're developing all of the neural pathways that we need. Mm. You know, you shouldn't need a lesson in year four on social-emotional learning because it would have occurred if children were playing more with other children, Mm. regardless of ages or even with grown-ups. But the actual fundamental notion is we play with other humans. Exactly. (laughs) I remember taking my Miss Ellie, who was three at the time, to um, a playground 
And all, she actually wasn't interested in the play equipment at that time. She was obviously at that point of her development where she was working on balance and all she wanted to do was walk up and down this kind of wall that was, you know, loose yes. rocks and things. But we went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and that is all she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then when she actually kind of mastered it, she moved then on to something else and that still was using play to yes. develop a core development in her. And I thought, gosh, how clever is this stuff? Mm-hmm. And we can actually sort of disrupt that when we decide as adults it's time for them to move on or I've had enough of them balancing yeah. on that wall, <laughs> now it's time for them to teach them something else. The other thing we can disrupt is when we try and force something too early. Yes. So when they're tra- trying to practice to climb and we decide we'll lift them up onto the play equipment or, you know, we decide that they're not ready to climb and those sorts of things can disrupt that learning process. When we're young we tumble over and fall a lot and bump mm-hmm. into things. So when we're in unexpected environments outside better than our house, we will fall over and bump into things. And it's actually a sign of our body working out where the body finishes. So mm-hmm. you don't have to go and sign up for an exercise class for your child because play will actually give them the physical movement that facilitates all of these other developments, but it does it through that lens of fun. And then we're trusting the intuitive knowledge of each little child that knows kind of what I need to do next. Mm. And what my body will let me do. Yep. <laughs> How important is autonomous free play and things called loose parts play? Okay, well, well, that is actually autonomous free play and loose parts play is actually play. That is what play is. Um, when we as adults start to intervene in play and direct it, then it's no longer actually play uh, because the, the true value of play comes in that ability for children to be making decisions, to be calculating risk, measuring risk as they go and making those decisions. So it's actually quite critical to that independence. As adults, we do need to take care with you know the level of independence we allow them and the spaces we provide for them. But where, as they get older, they need more and more of those opportunities to be autonomous. But if they haven't had that as a younger child, they are really quite lost in how to direct their own play. So they spend a lot of their time actually trying to seek direction from someone else or seek someone else's direction. Now, if you think about it, we actually spend a lot of time uh, trying to direct children, trying to protect children, and we even control who they play with, saying you you need to play with that person, you must play with that person. It must be very confusing when you get to be a teenager. You can't make those judgments anymore because you're told why are you playing with them? You know they're not good for you and why are you hanging out with them? Yet we've spent in the first 12 years of their life telling them they have to play with everybody, be kind to everybody and we've interfered in all those times where they could be making judgment calls. They could be making decisions. Sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're right, but they're making decisions and they're having the chance to question it. So it really is critical. If we're going to raise healthy teenagers, we have to start way back, way back at the beginning. We have to start from the time where, you know, uh, feeding our baby and making facial contact to right through creating those play opportunities where they choose their relationships, they choose how they play and they choose the opportunities that they're participating in. Sadly, as kids move into school environments, because our school now, of course, has this massively packed curriculum Mm -hmm. and we've been driven by NAPLAN Mm -hmm. results and the fact that we can now, there's so much testing and accountability Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. teachers spend so much time collecting Mm -hmm. data that they actually don't even have time for some of the playful activities we had in Mm -hmm. class. Now, there's my real challenge to you again, because that environment is stressful and we know one of the beautiful gifts of play is it actually discharges excess energy from the body, the cortisol from Mm -hmm. the body. It restores the dopamine and the endorphins Mm -hmm. of feel good. And when we have schools that 
are embracing the importance of play, their children are happier and actually performing well. Play and the curriculum can go together. It, it's not straight play, it's play-based learning, and I'll, I'll still defend that child's right must be to play alone or play with their friends, but they can incorporate playfulness into their, you know, their maths curriculum. When they needed to learn about tessellations, we went out to find them. We didn't bother to stay in the classroom. When you wanted to learn spelling, you played the game buzz off. You learnt your spelling much faster. There's lots of ways play can be built in, and we can do that as parents. You know, you've got your child's come home with their spelling list, well, rather than sit and drill them, why not play, you know, a game about how to learn the words? Those memories are really important as well because they also build resilience. Robin is six and she just started kindergarten this year and one of her major ways of playing now is to take the role and she'll walk around with a clipboard and a pen and start making ticks, calling out names. Are you here? Tick. After bath time, the ritual is Vinnie and Velvet come out naked and do dancing in the lounge room. So there's usually sort of about four songs after the bath where we all have a dance. So I've got a six and a three-year-old, older girl, younger boy. They will interact with role-playing, but it will be an entire scene. For instance, there will be the parent walking the dog the older six-year-old walking the younger three-year-old. They will give each other a name. There will be a situation where they're feeding them, brushing them, maybe going out for a bit of catch and fetch and then conclude that scene and then switch to a construction site where one of them has built a house and the other one is coming in to check some of the foundations. My eight-year-old Patrick, he plays rugby with his socks every single morning and he commentates. He kicks the socks, he runs through the house, he's throwing them, he's kicking them, he's doing tries and he's like cheering. But the commentary is the bit that gets me the most. Like it's, it's pretty funny to listen to. So now let's look at the primary age, getting into the older kids. Mm-hmm. How can they continue to learn through play or how can we get play as a priority into primary age children who are heading towards puberty? I think once again, that can still be developed into the curriculum, but for parents, giving them time and space, giving them opportunities to actually be independent and encouraging them to actually have time outside and where they can go and hang out, where you might take a book and a picnic and letting them and a couple of mates or, you know, hang out just in the park. We don't have to provide the structured activities for them. They will find things. Play is very strange in that older age groups because it sometimes looks or takes the form of kids sitting around and hanging out, okay, and it doesn't necessarily look straight away as doing some particular game or activity, Uh, but you will find that that hanging out, that chatting, sitting around, talking does eventuate into different ideas for play and, and doing things. So I think we need to just be sensitive at that age. They do need privacy and they do need time and space, just like the younger child. And if they haven't had experiences of play up until the age of eight or nine, you will find that sometimes they are lost. They are more lost. A child who's had regular healthy diet of play is far more able to contain and create more opportunities for play. 
And I I think we really have to put the word neighbourhood out because I think when we individually, there's only so much we can do. But if we can recapture or make sure we have a sense of neighbourhood where our Mm. children know other people in our street. Mm. And this is really, really important for those those families that live in apartments, again, Mm. because they won't have a backyard. So, Robin, we know that you know, parents are not going to automatically just let their children go roaming. So how do we make this happen that those community structures aren't existing? How do we how do we get that going again? We've all got to be advocates. We've all got to sort of champion it. Uh, we, In a way, we can connect through the school, through a school newsletter to let people know we're having a play meet in the park or to talk to your local council about what's what's happening, whether there's a street that can be t- shut off at a particular time, even if it's once a month, because it builds connections. Once children start to connect with other children, they're more likely to, to be able to facilitate more informal play opportunities, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But I think it does take advocacy. It does take people saying, you know what, I want to make sure my child has a chance to play. And the more people that get into those parks, the more people that you won't need to arrange any if, every, or if I said to all of you, head to the park, you know, next Thursday at 3pm, wherever you are, whatever park, we just declared it and everybody just headed there with their kids, yeah. um, you would have a play environment. Play would be happening. Let's start the revolution. Um, and the yeah. important part is that parents would be able to stand back and let their children enjoy. So now, Robin, um, play is so important that even the United Nations mm-hmm. has made it a priority. Yes. We actually have a, a, an article in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, an article is just a point form, but it says the child's right to play. And they value all of the all of those articles that are in the United Nations Convention, like the child's right to, to medical care, the child's right to be with their family, the child's right to good food and nutrition, and the child's right to play sits equally amongst those. It's not it's not more important or less important. It sits as an equal to actually raising a healthy child. And so it is enshrined in legislation. It is actually something that is a legal requirement um, for us all to sort of look at and follow. Uh, so it, it's it's recognised internationally as very important, but it's still got a long way to go as, you know, for people to actually see that it's not, it's not optional. It's, it is definitely something that must happen in a child's life for healthy development. So I had a wonderful teddy bears picnic the mm-hmm. other week with my three-year-old granddaughter and um, the tea we drank was mm-hmm. Earl Grey mm-hmm. and we had to eat certain things that only that particular circle of her stuffed toys would eat mm-hmm. and I got growled at because I wasn't sitting neat enough at the afternoon tea table. Well, so, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just impressed that she um, she actually catered for the different dietary requirements of the teddy bears. <laughs> that shows a modern child, you see. That's the modern childhood. Now when we do teddy bears picnics, we cater for gluten-free yes. you know, diets and everything else. And it is so mm-hmm. play helps our children make sense of the world of their world, their, of their yeah. world through mm. their eyes, so mm. they can feel comfortable with it. So, and even though we can say, "Oh gosh, you know, play can sort of not seem as important as all those other things that we can measure," we need to really reassure parents that it is unbelievably important in terms of interpreting, um, as I said, their experience life mm-hmm. and understanding people. And if you think about it, our play experiences as children may have been less complex, may have been very simple. Um, but then as the world's become more complex, children's play will become more complex. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for today, Robin. Thank you for having me, Maggie. <laughs> Shopkeeper, can I please get 
some bananas, two oranges and one apple, please. Okay. okay. Is that the apple? No. Oranges. No, no. What's that one? Oh, cute. And a cake as well. So how much is that added up to? Can you remember how Five. much? Five dollars. Okay, look. Can you beat my card, please? It's pay wave. Beep. Beep. Thank you so much. <laughs> you can go there. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good day. Now let's be honest, not every parent has the time uh, and let's be honest, the patience for role-playing games. But when you do, don't your little ones just light up? <laughs> so if you're looking for some ideas on how to play with your kids, have you checked out Bluey? I don't think I've ever seen a cartoon that celebrates play and makes it look like so much fun. Unpredictable, crazy fun. This magic wand to turn Dad into a chicken rat. And then he can lay a chicken rat egg for us. Yeah! We're going to need to sneak up on him, though. Let's dress up as ninjas. Yeah! It's about a family of blue healers, Mum and Dad, Bluey and her little sister Bingo, and the whole family love to play. I am so absolutely excited to be talking to Bluey's dad, not Bandit the Blue Healer, but Joe Brum, the creator of Bluey. Is it based on your own experience as a dad of two girls? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's the games that I'd find myself and my wife playing with the girls and it's it's watching the way they behave, you know, with, with us and with their friends and with and by themselves. You know, we probably added out a few of the, the worst <laughs> bits, but we, I like to keep the bits in that uh, really seem meaningful for the kids. Was your dad like this too? No, I mean, I've got a lot of memories of wrestling. I mean, he's he a great dad and still is. And I was I'm, I'm one of three brothers and uh, so lots of just wrestling him, <laughs> trying not to let him get up and... Um, <laughs> I mean, the main thing I remember playing is war. We just ran, used to run around cans just playing war nonstop. There's a part of you that thinks you've got an early childhood educator or academic behind you that has created some of these. They are so good. So where does some of the – I know you've said it just comes out of your home, but some of them are just so clever. And the way that you show the children in amongst it, including their frustrations um, and their joys, where do you get all those ideas from? Right. It is a slightly long path, but I'll, I'll try to make it short. Um, you talk about roosters and lambs. My older child is a rooster, very, you know, forthright, and will let you know when something is not working for her. And she let us know in her first year of prep, she couldn't articulate it, but something just wasn't working for her. And so that was, you know, that was quite a hard year. And eventually what we realised, you know, a year later and a couple of skills later was that she just wasn't ready for the kind of what what you would call that formalized academic learning. And of course, we felt like the odd ones out. I just felt like, you know, you, you just didn't know whether what you're doing was right. I was trying to read as much as I could ab about it and talk to some friends of mine. And it seemed like the scientists were saying that they're these, you know, unique developmental stages that you can't just run rough, rough shot over and swap around mm -hmm. as you like. And that when I looked over this side, it seemed like, well, hang on, you're, you're kind of barging this developmental stage in onto this one. And we found a school that 
prioritised play for this four to six That's exactly year old. it, prioritised. That's the word. And respected it and, and viewed it as with such reverent tones. And it was really strange to me to go, wow, they're just, they're just watching the kids play and they're <laughs> guiding it. And my wife sat in for, for almost two terms, you know, just day in, day out, just helping. And she would just come back saying, oh my God, like this was happening and then they'd do this. And, and so I got this real peek under the hood of, <laughs> of what these teachers are looking for. And all of that, I've just tried to get into Bluey to sort of examine each concept and each way that play is good for these kids and make an episode about it. A creek! Ooh, a creek is beautiful. There's a nicer bit just up this way. We used to play there when I was a kid. Let's rock hop it up. <laughs> We're finding that there are some of our children who are so, you know, disconnected from the natural world and what they can do around a creek or something like that. So where'd that idea, have you got a creek near you? Do you go to visit one? A couple of things. I mean, I, I grew up in Cairns and, and I grew <laughs> up in creeks, you know, like they just were where we lived, the abbeys and stuff. But um, the first school that, that my oldest was in, I don't want to um, talk negatively or anything, and they were doing a lot of things right in that they had a creek and it was a big part of the school and they took beautiful care of it. But in that first year of prep, they visited once in that year. And the teacher said, oh, my goodness, your, your child just came alive in this, this creek day. And we were like, this is great. And I read one thing about creeks and, and nature play and it was like, look, it, uneven ground is good for kids' brains, you know. And, and bare thought, feet. <laughs> and bare feet. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, like... Their kids, their brains are forming so rapidly that they need uneven ground for their balance and they need germs and they need all these things. The key thing of that episode, the bottom of the story circle after she faces all her challenges is she's left with that one last challenge which she says, well, what are we supposed to do? The playground usually says this is what this is and you do this, you know, and that's great. But nature, I guess, and creeks don't give you that answer mm. yet. And that's what I like about that app. It's like, oh, okay, that's the last barrier is that no one's going to yep. direct me here. Do you start, you know, like we've talked about some of the experiences, but do you start with a story or do you start with just an idea? How do you do it? Because there's, what, seven minutes long. That's a lot of story. It's, it's different for everyone, but I'd say for the majority, I try and start with that moment. Something that I know has been a hard sort of learning lesson for the kids. So like just having like sharing or, you know, not wanting any help, but wanting help. Mm. And these things when I'm very, I mean, I'm fairly observant sort of guy and I see those moments, seeing your kid come back in tears because the others have run away from him, you know. Yeah. It, like, Heartbreaking moments, yeah. Yeah, and that's and- the deeper stuff, but then the, <laughs> then you marry that with just a fun game, you know, and you try and make them work together. And the uh, the magic xylophone one, hey. <laughs> it's just such a sweet one, really, because what you, you know, you were, you're in an, in the zone so beautifully with Bandit there that, you know, most people would have caved in when, you know, so for those who even haven't seen the magic xylophone, you know, you make people freeze and when the girls freeze bandit they do all sorts of funny things but he never breaks character and he's a daddy that holds in there and I look at that sometimes and and the same as your you know the the hairy monster attack I I see it happening in my son's houses and the joy on the children's faces even though they're technically on the borderline of you know terror (laughs) these are the moments that 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 they will remember in their childhood it's a bit weird my relationship with this show because from everything I've learned from watching and from these teachers and these people have been talking to, the best place a kid can be is with a bunch of other kids playing. But unfortunately, it's funnier when you're watching Bandit get 
fingers <laughs> shoved up his nose. So, you know, the show has a majority of the kids playing with the parents. Yeah. But I guess if I could say anything to the people who are watching, it's like, look, it's fine. Just get them outside. Just yeah. you play with them when you can, but you got stuff to do and I've got stuff to do. So just get to this situation and do what you can to just get them playing with these other kids. What was been most interesting is that through this play is how they tend to come out of those things. You know, what one of the one of the methods they tend to come out of that toddler phase and they learn to share and to, you know, include other kids and all because they don't want the game to end. Exactly. Like the motivation of play is actually to have fun. Yeah. And in that place, anything that elongates the play. And also, you know, I have a really big challenge around not letting our children lose anymore, Um, you know, that we pass the parcel, everyone gets parcels and prizes, so you don't disappoint under five-year-olds. And I think it's a great age to get disappointed. There's a pass the parcelette, which is forming in my head because it's, 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 I I tried it once. I said to my wife, said, no, we just have one prize and two kids, including mine, ran off screaming. And Can I give you the tip what you're saying? Yeah, hit me. See, 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 you kneel down with them because we need to validate for them that losing does feel, you know, really awful. So we kneel down and we say, oh, you didn't get a prize. Doesn't that suck? And it's disappointment. <laughs> Doesn't it feel yucky? But you know what? There's another game and we've got three games of it and you might get disappointed three times, <laughs> but you're going to get really good at disappointment. <laughs> That's the other side of parenting, that we aren't supposed to protect them from those moments, but we give them the strategies and the encouragement to know that there's always something good coming around the corner because there's another bluey that's going to come out. So did they understand that learning to be disappointed is a thing? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What we right. need to do is validate the feeling. Nobody likes losing. I don't like, and I'm 64, and I'm sure you don't like it. No. So what we need to validate is anyone who loses or doesn't get what they want feels really uncomfortable inside. Yep. And, and then we can talk about ways that we can make ourselves feel a bit better. But having hope for another activity, you know, could do you want a hug? So there's other ways that we work with the disappointment rather than just never let them experience it. So yes. So what's your what's your message for the exhausted, tired parents out there? What's your, well, especially what when I'll, the kids want to play and they're just too tired. Just what I'd tell myself that someone gave me some advice. They said, "Look, as long as you just turn up and you're there and you you know you're loving them, your kids are going to be fine." Yeah. I guess everything else is fine-tuning. I think you get the um, non-permanent markers and get them to draw on your tummy. <laughs> so a mummy told me that she was very pregnant. She couldn't get off the couch and her two toddlers had these <laughs> textures and drew They took hours to draw pictures wow. all over mummy. And um, she could wash it off in the shower later, but she was not able to get off that couch. But those children had so much fun because that was just the best place to oh, draw pictures. Awesome. Can you see again? Just turning up is great advice. Yeah. So, Joe, can I thank you? And can you please keep up your fabulous work? And I'm hoping, you too, Maggie. yeah, I'm hoping that together we can let our parents enjoy their kids a little bit more, relax and um, get down and get dirty. So, thank you so much. That sounds good. Thanks, Maggie. Good talking to you. So what are your favourite games? I'm still really loving hide-and-seek with my grandies, but there are games that even now when my boys come home that we still do. We still shoot hoops, best of five, and you have to drop your dacks if you don't get five. That obviously doesn't happen anymore. But there's so much fun banter around the edges which, yeah, fills us all with cups of joy. So play 
can happen anytime without needing to put your hand in your pocket to get money out. It can happen in the randomness of a shop when you go hiding amongst the clothes. It can happen with a tickling hand, a guessing game. All of those things can happen so spontaneously and easily at any age. Play doesn't have to stop when your teens suddenly turn into being a bit grumpy and not quite so happy to play with you. Every now and then, if you can, get a whole bunch of their friends over and pull out the Monopoly pull out some games that have been hiding there for a while and you just watch what happens. Next time on Parental As Anything, cyberbullying. As a family, what are your digital values? My values when I grew up was that, you know, when we went to Nana's place, we didn't use foul language, we used please and thank you, all of those sorts of things. Well, they apply to the internet as well. Have you sat down with your kids and established when you are representing our family online, what does that look like? Yep, I'm sorry to go from play to this tough topic, but if you have kids and especially have teenagers, this is an issue you can't afford to ignore. That's next time on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent. So make sure you subscribe on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all of your friends about us, especially your fellow mums, dads and carers and if you want to get in touch you can flick an email to me at parentalisanything at your.abc.net.au